Good morning again. If you would open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15. One of the few Sundays where we'll have a one-off message. Before we get into our study on 2 Timothy. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Again, Happy New Year. And There's something neat as we think about the new year. It allows us to feel as if we can turn a page. And after the last two years, there's been a plenty of memes that have come up on what to be expected in 2022 on the horizon. Like it's going to be this, something worse is going to happen. <laughs> and we certainly hope that's not the case. But there is that sense of something new. Like we haven't messed this year up completely yet. Right? We're one day in. We haven't botched it all. And we may choose to change things. I don't know if you set New Year's resolutions. Some of us may try to change things physically to start a diet, swear off sugar, lose a few pounds, spend more time with family, whatever it may be. We may change, choose to change things spiritually. I want to read through the Bible, the New Testament. Or we just want to be faithful, just more faithful to the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about today is what does that mean? What does that look like to be faithful? To be faithful to the Lord. We're going to look at that from 1 Samuel 15. We're actually going to look at it from a bad example of faithfulness. We're going to learn what not to do. And so if you like sermon titles, I don't care for them, but if you do, you could put, you know, how to faithfully follow the Lord, or my preferable title would be Notes from a Knucklehead, as we'll see in 1 Samuel chapter 15. But today we'll see that faithful Christians, they fully follow, they follow Christ fully, they repent over sin, and they desire to be used of God to fulfill his plan. So we're going to learn from this text today that Christians that want to be faithful follow God fully, they repent over their sin, and they desire to be used of God to fulfill his plan. Now there are other things we could add to this, we're just going to look at those three from this text here in 1 Samuel 15 to see how we then can be the faithful Christians God would have us be in 2022, no matter what may come uh, our way. So first we see faithful Christians follow Christ fully. Faithful Christians follow Christ fully. Look at 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse number 1. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. If you get a chance, if you go through 1 Samuel 15 and just note the words, listen, words, voice, you're going to see this over and over again on God said this, you should have listened to this, you didn't listen to this, but that sense of listening to the voice of the Lord. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel and opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Verses 1 through 3, the prophet Samuel speaks on behalf of the Lord and commands Saul with a clear command, wipe them out. Wipe out the Amalekites. The Amalekites, you're wondering, who are they? You would first see them in Exodus 17, 8 through 16. Amalek, the grandson of Esau, came out to fight the people of God. They had just come out of Egypt, and uh, they decided, we're going to try to take advantage of these people that are kind of vulnerable. And so they attacked them. And, and if you remember in Exodus 17, that the people of Israel win the battle when Moses' hands were lifted over his hand. That's, so you may not remember who they battled. You remember, he had to keep his hands up. As long as the staff was over his head, the Lord allowed them to get the victory. The Lord gives victory that day, 
And he gives a promise of final victory. In Exodus 17, 14, God promises, because of what they've done, not only are you going to get victory here, but I'm going to allow you someday to completely take them out when you get into the land at some point. He says, you'll utterly blot out, verse Exodus 17, 14, the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses praises God for this, builds an altar for God's deliverance, and calls it Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, in Exodus 17, 15. So as a reader, if you're just reading through the Bible, and now you see the Amalekites are coming back up, and you're wondering, is this the time where the Lord will fulfill his promise from Exodus 17? Is this going to be the time where he keeps his word because we know God cannot lie? If he says something's going to happen, something's going to happen. Friend, if you don't believe that, go to Israel and look at the places that Jesus said woe to. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Capernaum. Go and visit. Tell me what you find. Nothing. Not going to find anything there. So is this the time where God's going to keep his word? And that's what we wonder. Is this what's going to happen? And he gives this opportunity to fulfill his promise to who? King Saul. Saul, you have an opportunity to lead your people into being a part, a fulfillment of my plan. This is another chance. Aren't you thankful for the million second chances the Lord gives you? Saul had chances before and has blown them. Not done so well. So if you go to two chapters earlier, 1 Samuel 13, Saul was in a mess. The Philistines were getting ready to attack, and Samuel says, wait for me to do the sacrifice. Once I get to do the sacrifice, then we'll go. Saul realizes the people, they're kind of trembling, they're nervous, and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to do this myself. I don't need to obey the words of the Lord. I don't need to listen to the man of God. I don't need him around. I can do the sacrifice myself. And as soon as he finishes the sacrifice, it's like as soon as he finishes around the corner, Samuel comes in and sees and goes, what on earth have you just done? And we learn in 1 Samuel 13 that the Lord is searching for a man after his own heart from that point on. Meaning, Saul, that's not you. You're not a man after God's own heart. I'm trying to find one, looking for one. And we'll see, he does find in the very next king, that person. But perhaps Christian... You know, we think through 2021 and we feel like, man, last year, spiritually, may have just been a rough year. And I wasn't what I should have been. And this year, by God's grace, I can. If I depend on Him, I can be faithful. And there's great confidence that the Lord can forgive. We sang about His mercy is more. We know He can still use us is to be a part of His plan. But Saul gets another chance, and by God's grace, God offers Saul an opportunity to be a part fulfilling this plan. Saul may not be able to redeem an everlasting kingship for him and his children because he lost that in 1 Samuel 13, but he could still be used. I can still be used of God. So what does Saul do? Let's look at verse number 4. So Saul summoned the people, numbered them, and to Lamb, 200,000 men on foot, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, go down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to us, the people of Israel, when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Malachites. And Saul defeated the Malachites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. There you go. He did it. He completed the task 
And then verse 8 comes. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. What? And devoted to destruction all the people at the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people spared Agag, and not just Agag, the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatted calves, and of the lambs. And all that was good, but would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, mismatching plastic Tupperware, they tossed. Everything else they decided to keep. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and when it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned it past on and went down to Gilgal. Verse 4 through 6, <clears throat> Saul prepares for battle. Verse 7, seems like he's doing the right thing. And then you see all of a sudden he's not doing what God asked him to do. He's keeping trophies for himself, because that's what kings would do. They would keep other kings as trophies for, look at all that I've done. He's keeping trophies, he's keeping stuff. And verse 10 through 12, the Lord tells Samuel that Saul blew it, and Samuel cries through the night. Now, before you move on, we got to ask some hard questions in this text. And so I think there's a lot we can learn about faithfulness, but there's also some hard things we need to wrestle with. One of those is, I know some of the people disobeyed, but should they, have, should, should they have obeyed at all? This is annihilation. This is genocide. What do you do with that? What happens to this God of love, this God who desires to save in... This is destruction. And you are correct. It is destruction. We do not know what has happened to the Malachites before or since. We know where they descend from. We do know in Scripture that when people lived heinous lives, like those in Nineveh, or like those in Israel, the Lord would often send people there to try to get them to repent. And when they did repent, judgment was withheld. So we don't know what happened with Malachite. We don't know what happened at this time, but we know God loves. How do we know God loves? Because he says, and he shows through his own personal sacrifice, for God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only son. So not just in words, but in action. God says, I'll give my own son to save these people. And then as we learn in 1 Timothy, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so how does this God of love the Savior of the world, who desires all to be saved, how does he task people with this annihilation, this genocide? What is one to say these accusations? Where is the God of justice? First Samuel 15, one pastor said of this, I'm preaching on this, the struggle to see God's command to wipe out the Amalekites is really a failure to comprehend our own rebellion against the Holy God. A rebellion, mind you, that God would one day quell through his one and only son. God is God of justice, and the penalty of our sin, Romans 6.23 tells us, is death. The wages of sin is death. However, there is hope that Jesus saves. Though mankind falls short of the glory of God, they can be justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, as Romans 3.23-24 tells us. That same pastor finishes the argument by saying, before the cross... So before the cross, that's where the cries of our fairness and justice 
are silenced. As the sinless one lays down his life for sinful humanity. It's there. If there's a justice problem in the Bible, it's right at the foot of the cross, not at the foot of the Amalekite. So if you're wondering where is justice, then you have to ask this argument, don't you? Why did God die for you to begin with? How is this just? We all deserve death. And it makes us feel uncomfortable, makes me feel uncomfortable even reading some of this stuff. But it's because my idea of who I am is really high. I'm somebody of worth and value. This should never happen to somebody like me. But maybe others, yes. And we would think people on the other side of the planet that are doing things, heinous acts, we think, man, Lord, bring judgment on them, bring the sword. Because they are more sinful than I. The justice problem is at the cross. Where God decides to die, the Holy One decides to lay down his life for the sinful. That may not answer all your questions, but hopefully at least directs us to inappropriate answer that the biggest justice question is not here. But it's in John 3.16. Answer that question first, then work your way backwards. But Saul, so hopefully that at least helps you. If maybe if you're wondering that maybe you weren't, wasn't trying to stir up new questions in you, but at least we gotta, we gotta tackle real issues, real questions that we have. Saul has this opportunity. Saul blows his opportunity. And what happens? He blows, blows his chance. What did he do? And he does something even more idiotic. I don't know if you caught it in verse number 12. Samuel rose early to meet Saul early in the morning and was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself. <laughs> the command of the Lord, do this. He doesn't do it and somehow, bing, you know what would be nice? Let's, let's put something up here to remember this day. You're like, what? Who, who gave you that idea? Where'd you come up with that one, Saul? He decides, I'm going to build a monument for myself. The Lord who sees and knows all informs Samuel Saul's disobedience. The Lord states that he regrets making Saul king for two reasons. It's another thing we can get into for another 10 hours. We won't do it. But the Lord states, I regret because Saul has rebelled and Saul has refused to obey. You're like, well, it looks like he kind of obeyed, but to God, if you don't obey his word to the T, you have disobeyed. Parents and grandparents understand this when they ask a child to clean their room. Go clean your room. You come back three hours later, the kid's kind of laying on the bed and stuff's all around. Well, I did some, and they're shoving stuff underneath their bed. No. There's no partial credit on that command. You did it or you didn't, and Saul's realizing, I didn't do it. But he's not realizing that. And we're going to get to that here in a few seconds, that he just, he can't comprehend it. But first, Christian, is there something God has asked you to do? You know, he's commanded me to do this. Either directly in his word, or just I've been, it's been pressing on my heart, and I just haven't done it. 
there's something that you need to do, please know that through simple obedience, God can do mighty things. Be faithful. Fully follow Christ. Also, another thing we got to take away from here is when you see others entrenched in sin, what was Samuel's response? He cried to the Lord all night. What would our church look like if each of us prayed for our brothers or sisters here like Samuel did when they fell into sin? When we realize somebody's going off track, what would our church look like if we had people that broke down and cried to the Lord all night over brother or sister Aaron? Would things be different? Instead of throwing the first stone, doesn't mean you don't go and talk to them because Samuel goes and talks to them. Doesn't mean you don't confront the problem, but perhaps we start with, I'm broken for them. I'm broken over their sin. I'm going to take this to the only person that can solve it. Follow Christ fully. Also, we need to repent. When wrongs are exposed, own them and repent. Look at verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. He's not obeyed. His monument is in the background, <laughs> the backdrop. And Saul comes and talks to him. And, and then Samuel says, Blessed be you to the Lord. Saul says to Samuel, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Samuel said, what is this, Matt? What, what? I keep hearing something. This is bleeding of the sheep in my ears. And this lowing of the oxen, you know, it sounds familiar. Those sound like animals that are alive. Is that what I'm hearing? Because that's, is that what you're hearing too, Saul? Because I can see them and I can hear them, but you just told me you obeyed. Before Saul can get a word out, Saul proclaims, again, I've done it. I've done it. I've obeyed. But like a child with chocolate on his face who insists he didn't eat the cookies. Samuel's like, you did it. You're, we, we, we see your hands in the cookie jar. We, you're caught. We got gotcha. you. So Saul goes to plan B. My first story didn't work. It's the people's fault. We're just going to toss the, my entire kingdom under the bus. It's the people they're the ones they're the problems they're the ones that did it and look he says in verse 15 look they brought they have brought them from the amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice the lord your god saul had he's not the king he can't just tell people what to do they brought all these things and, and samuel said a great parenting word here stop with an exclamation point stop Okay, your story stinks. <laughs> Stop. Stop with this. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to them, uh, okay, speak. Verse 17, and Samus said, though you are little in your own eyes, and you're not the head of the tribes of Israel. This could be referencing back to that Saul was first hiding himself when he was anointed king, little in his own eyes. It could be sarcastically, because he just set up a monument to himself. Whichever one it is. He says, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission. So let's walk back through this, Saul. He says, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil? 
and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Still going on, saying I'm innocent. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag the king of, of Amalek. So he just admitted he didn't do it. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, it's them, took the spoil. Sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. The classic, Adamic excuse, right? What did Adam say in the garden? It was the woman you gave me. It's not me. And what did the woman say? It was the serpent. It's, it's somebody else's fault. It's just not mine. Christian, we are all spiritually bankrupt apart from Jesus. Listen, when our sins are pointed out, may we in 2022, myself, you, may we just confess, you know what? I'm wrong. I blew it. Just be honest enough to admit when we're wrong instead of putting it on somebody else. Saul believes he's done the wrong, although he admits he's kept King Agag. He says the people kept the best of the animals, the spoil. But listen to the four categories that they have here. The king, the spoil, the animals, the best of the things. The people not just take animals for sacrifice, as was first contended. That leads to the second word you got to know. It's like verse 19. You see the word pounce. That word pounce is used a chapter earlier in 1432. It was used in 1 Samuel 1432 to show the people pouncing on the spoil after the defeat of the Philistines, people greedily running after everything they can get their hands on. So this word pounce, it's like that sense of when kids break the pinata and everybody rushes in to get the candy. This is this idea in 1432 and here in chapter 15 that they pounce on the spoil. It's just like stuff is up for grabs. Go get it. Hey, Walmart's closing today. Everything in there is free. Let's go see how civilized Lexington and Rockbridge community is. Everything's free. No keys. You got to get it yourself. I mean, chainsaws. The jaws of life would be brought in there as people trying to get a free phone. Right? This pouncing on the spoil, just rushing in. Obeying the voice of the Lord obviously was not as precious to them as the objects they were collecting. Stuff is more important than my Savior. This is why Samuel is so disappointed and combative. Saul is living in a delusion. He thinks he's an obedient child of God and he's the farthest thing from it. Saul and the people have not partially obeyed, they've disobeyed. And so Samuel addressed this in verse 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of divination. Presumption is an iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned for I've transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and obeyed their Voice. There's that word again, voice. I heard the voice of the Lord, but I've chosen the voice of the people. 
What does Saul, Samuel call Saul's actions? He called it evil earlier, and he uses the word rebellion, divination, iniquity. He uses the word idolatry. When we choose to sin against God, these are the terms that should be spoken of us. It's rebellion. It's idolatry. It's iniquity. Christian, again, when our faults are exposed, we have to recognize this. But we get deceived by our own, our own lies, and we get deceived by our own justifications. And so when somebody points a finger on it and presses that nerve, puts, pours salt on that wound, we need to confess. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James tells us that we confess our faults one to another. When's the last time you confessed your faults to somebody here at church? I've blown it. How do we fulfill James 5 if we don't do that? Confess your faults one to another. Who's the one another? But we want people to think what? What do you want people to think about you here? Be honest. Arrogant, proud Christian. What do you want people to think about you here? I have everything put together. I am holy. I have no problems. Everything in that statement goes against everything in this book. We are not holy by ourselves. We are only holy in Christ. We have no righteousness of our own. We are broken vessels. So we confess our faults one to another. We don't conceal them. We tell people, I have problems. Pray for me. Pray for me. Welcome to the family of God. Now we can get somewhere. The church is not for the well. It's for the sick. That's who Jesus came to heal, came to save, isn't it? He's not come for the well, he came for the sick. We are a hospital, not a trophy room. We have problems, so we just confess. Christian, if you're living in sin, confess it. Forsake it. Like the prodigal son, come home to the Father's open arms. If you feel like people here are going to judge you, let me know, we'll slap them. Because they're just as sinful as you are because they had the same kind of simple parents you did who had the same simple parents that we did all the way back to Adam and Eve. We're born in a fallen world. We're born going astray. And if you do anything right, God gets the glory and the credit, or should. If you're living in partial obedience, maybe it's not just full out. You're living in partial obedience, confess it, forsake it. This is what faithful Christians do. Faithful Christians follow Christ fully. Faithful Christians repent over their sin. And lastly, faithful Christians desire to be used of God to fulfill his plan. Look at verse 24. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I transgressed the commandment of the Lord. And your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin, return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. 
And Samuel turned to go away, and Saul seized the skirt of his robe and tore it. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag the king of the Malachites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And, and, uh, disclaimer, it was not. Samuel said, as, a sword has, as your sword, King Agag, has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to the house of Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. In the middle of verse 23, Samuel delivers the bad news. He'd been rejected. God promises to take the kingdom away from Saul and his family. And now that something has been taken away from him. You ever seen this when you've had to hand out discipline to child or grandchild? No confession, and then, all right, we're taking this away. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 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 I didn't read it. You ever done that? You ever been a part of that when your parents took something away from you? And all of a sudden, you felt remorse. All of a sudden, instantaneous. That, this heartfelt remorse. I really am sickened that I would do that to my sibling. Please do not take my precious thing away. Well, I thought you weren't sorry just a few seconds ago. The text, Samuel nor God, recognizes Saul's repentance to be genuine in any shape or form. And you know, well, how do we know this? Because true repentance goes beyond words. Have you, again, you ever experienced this? Maybe in your own family when you were a kid, your parents tell you to say sorry to each other. Sorry. Man, that was heartfelt. I could see you two just love each other, and this is going to be a great day. Right? True repentance goes beyond words into action. It seeks change. Did you notice the spoils are still around? We, we still have sheep. We still have oxen. All the goodies you took beyond that, perhaps gold and silver, it, they're still in the people's pockets, Saul. True repentance means change. Not just an audible, I'm sorry. It seems Saul wants no part of the true heart change. Instead, it seems his heart longs for people, power, and possessions. He feared the voice of the people. He wanted to continue his kingdom. He wanted the power, and he wanted the spoils, the stuff, the possessions. His actions Saul has shown he does not desire to be used of God to bring God's plan to fruition. So what's going to happen? God promised back in Exodus that he's going to give Israel this opportunity to completely destroy them because of what they did, and Saul fails. So will God's promise fail? Will God's promise fail because man has failed? The answer is no. Because God will find somebody else to fulfill his plan. And who does that? We see Samuel steps up and says, I'll be the one then. 
the king won't do it, I will. And in a gruesome scene, kills King Agag. In the end, Saul is a failed king. He's a failed king. And if you want an interesting case study, work through the book of 1 Samuel and to try to figure out if Saul is indeed a believer. Because we saw a couple weeks ago that there's a seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And the seed of the serpent, what are some things that the seed of the serpent will do? It will continue to oppose and rebel the seed of the woman and, its, and God. And will also attack the seed of the woman and God. And what does Saul do when he finds out who the seed of the woman is? What does he do to David? Tries to kill him. I do not know Saul's heart. Let's tell you on the outside, the actions, things ain't looking good. But Saul's a failed king, and we like to compare him to David, who, as we saw in 1 Samuel 13, is a man after God's own heart whom God found. But let me read you a better comparison than that of David to Saul. One author said, the ultimate contrast with Saul is the true king of God's people, the righteous Lord, Jesus Christ. When Jesus presented himself to God at the end of his earthly ministry, he could give a report very differently from King Saul's. Jesus prayed to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Perfect obedience was the memorial that Jesus erected to his life. This is why God accepted Jesus and his ministry on behalf of those who trust in him. David was a way better king than Saul, but David was still a failure. Right? He wasn't perfect. We don't have to walk down David's list of sins to know he's a failure. But he was not the Messiah. He was not the perfect son of God. Where Saul failed, and later on even David failed, the true king of the Jews, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, succeeded. He desired to be used of God to bring God's plan to fruition. What did Jesus say in the garden? Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, the faithful king, is the ultimate picture of someone willing to bring God's plan to fruition, and he did so by giving his life for you and me. Christian, do you desire to be used of God to fulfill his plan? And you could say, sure, but, you know, Pastor, I don't know if you knew this, but I haven't had a prophet come knock on my door recently and tell me, hey, the voice of the Lord said, A. If he did... I would do it. So if Samuel were alive today, <clears throat> I have a task for you. From the voice of the Lord, here's what he said. Most of us say on the outside, we would do it. Would you? So if God gave you a direct command, like we heard in our scripture reading today, go make disciples. Voice of the Lord here. God wants you to go make a disciple, one, this year. Would you do it? How'd 2021 go? I mean, it's a direct command. This is a great commission. I don't know God's will. But we do, don't we? 
if we're honest, we really do know what we should be doing. We just like our stuff, the spoils and the time and the popularity. We don't want people to think negatively of us or don't want to be offended as their path is leading them to hell. Christian, are you helping fulfill the plan of God? You can be a part of it. This is something that we as a deacons were talking about that we would love to see. We love to see in our own church, our own people, bringing people to the Lord. Are we thankful for the people that are coming being members? We would love to see our own people reaching out to others, to the lost in our community, and sharing the good news of the gospel of Christ. You cannot change their heart, only God can, but we can share the good news. Will you do it? You want to be faithful in 22? Then follow Christ fully. Repent over your sin and desire to be used of God to fulfill his plan. First off, friends, we think through what does all this mean for us today, friend. We, we heard today about the judgment of God, and, and it's, not, it's not pretty. And many of us want to just take that text and just, just rip it out of Scripture to make us all feel better that we don't have to deal with judgment. Because nobody wants to see judgment take place. How many of you would want to see 1 Samuel 15 on the TV screen, acted out in full? It'd be gruesome. We don't want to think about judgment. We don't want to think that God will hand out judgment. But he will. It's just true. He will. He will separate the sheep from the goats. Those that know him and those that don't. And he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. He'll cast death and hell into the lake of fire. It's not a place for partying. It's gruesome. Friend, I beg you, if you're going to do anything in 2022, if you don't know the Lord, come to him. You can do so by believing these true words that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You can do that today. Call on him, admit that you, like I, we are sinners, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Call on his name. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And you hear those verses often here because they're true. I don't know how else to say it. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. We have, I have. If you admit that, believe in Christ, he will forgive. Come to him today. If you have questions on that, see myself, see a Christian friend you came with. And let us talk to you about that today. Christian, for those of you here that, that, that claim to know Christ, let me ask you a few questions. At the very beginning of the text, we saw God spoke to Saul and throughout the chapter that Saul did not and would not completely obey. So the question for you is, are, are you listening to the voice of the Lord? Again, Samuel may not get resurrected in 2022 and come knock on your door but we have direct commands from God. Direct commands. Are you listening to them? 
Are you fully obeying them? Also, some of you may wonder here if God can still use you. Like, Pastor, I'm Saul. But I'm, I'm saved. I know I'm saved, but I feel like I'm Saul. I, every time that I try to do something, I blow it. I mess it up. In 2021, it's ruinous. It's disaster. What's the point of trying to press on? I'm just going to mess up again, and God can't, God can't use somebody like me. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. We see it today? Stronger than darkness. New every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy more. Wherever your sins are, his mercy is greater. His grace is beyond. In the song, The Lord is My Salvation, we sing, My debt is paid. When we say that my debt is paid, which of your sins did Jesus pay for? Which ones? Some or all, Christian. All. My debt is paid. The victory is won. The Lord is my salvation. That's why we sing these songs, because they're truths that we are speaking to one another to build each other up in the faith. Yes, you've blown it. Welcome to humanity. Yes, Jesus is better. Welcome to Christianity. He can forgive. His mercy is more. His grace is greater. His faithfulness is new every morning. Can God still use you? He used Pharaoh. Pretty sure he can use you. Come back to him. Give him your life. And just simply follow the commands you know to be true. I know these are here. I'm going to try this today. Today. Today's a blank page. I haven't messed this one up yet. Got 12 and a half hours to go. Today, the 12 and a half hours you have, by God's grace, follow the commands you know to be true. Tomorrow, blank page. You haven't messed up tomorrow yet. 24 hours. Follow the commands you know to be true. Lastly, Christian, today we've seen how sinful we can be. We look at Saul, and we can condemn and throw stones. But it would be helpful for us to look in the mirror, wouldn't it? So I told you, we don't know. You read through, read through 1 Samuel, tell me if you believe Saul is a Christian or not. And you're going to have little instances or flares. You go, maybe, maybe that's a sign. Christian, how many people look at us from the outside world and wonder if we really are what we say we are because of how we live? How many? They wonder. I I don't know. God works through broken things. So instead of feeling misery over how low we are, embrace it like a warm blanket, and then take that warm blanket and wrap it around the cross that we cling to, going, yes, I am. Satan, the accuser of the brethren, you are right. Give me the list. You're this, 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 and this. You're right. But God, who is rich in mercy, who took all my sin and my debt is paid and my victory is won. The Lord 
is my salvation. May that be our battle cry in 2022. We can be faithful, not because we are, but because God is. We can repent because if we confess, he forgives. We can be used of his plan, not because we're good, but because he uses broken things. I can, I can do that. He uses a foolish base in the vial. I can, I can, I'm there. I fit in that category. Welcome. Welcome, friend. Welcome, Christian. Welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. These are the ones God uses. The sick. The sick. Let's go tell people then about the one that has the cure. Let's bow for a prayer. Jesus, we thank you. For your wonderful mercy. That is more than our sins. Your grace that succeeds in over all of our sins. Your faithfulness that's new every morning. We thank you that our debt can be paid. So for, if there's anyone here from child to grandparent that maybe they've been in church their entire life or this is their first time, Lord, I don't care. But if they're here and they do not know you, may today their debt be paid. May they confess their sins to you and God, you forgive them and they come to Christ as a new creature. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your children to listen to your voice and obey. So not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Lord, when our sins are called out, and they will be because we are sinful people, when our sins are called out, Lord, help us to immediately confess and change by your grace and power. God, lastly, I pray you help us this year as Satan will try to do everything he can to beat us down, that we would cry out, the Lord is my salvation. And at the end of this year, Lord, whether you tarry, whether you come back, that you would get the glory because all glory belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray.